Good morning, once again. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel according to John, if you have one with you or in front of you in the backs of the pews. And once you're there, once you're to John chapter 1, before you look at the end of the chapter where we'll be focusing our attention today, look with me once again at the beginning of the chapter because it's been a few weeks. And let's remember the amazing way in which John began this book. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is presented to us right out of the gate in John's gospel as the agent of creation. He makes it happen. Jesus is presented to us also as the agent of all life and of all truth and grace. And this Jesus, John tells us, who was there before creation and who was the agent of creation, and by that, it means by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created, this Jesus came into creation for the very same reason why John wrote this gospel, so that we might believe, and so that by believing, we might have life in his name. Jesus is the central character in all of history, in all of the Bible, and obviously in the gospel according to John. And establishing this truth, establishing Jesus as the central character is how this book begins. We've seen that. But also, as we've progressed through this chapter, we've seen some other characters come onto the scene. Let's review just for a moment in case you're just joining us. First, we see John the Baptist. We'll call him supporting actor number one. And he's given a simple part, a simple role, which is to point to Jesus. Then the priests and the Levites make an appearance. And they serve up the softball of all softballs to John the Baptist, putting him on the witness stand and giving him an opportunity to testify and witness about Jesus, which, if you know John the Baptist, he is more than happy to do. And then last week, our archbishop was here preaching. We saw a few other characters appear. Call them supporting actors two and three, named Andrew and Simon, who Jesus promptly renames Peter. Simon woke up that morning and had his coffee and his breakfast, thinking his name was Simon. He went to sleep having met Jesus and being given a new name. Then he was Peter. It's quite a day. So we've been on a journey through this chapter so far. And this one chapter has had, if you will, three different movements. It's gone from prologue to testimony to calling. The message of the prologue. We can see this in verses 1 through 18. Jesus is God himself. And now the second movement of testimony. 
You can see this in the middle chunk of verses, 19 through 34. John the Baptist, once again, points away from himself to Jesus himself. And he says, look at him. He's the Lamb of God. Look at him. He's the Son of God. And then last week, verses 35 through 42, and continuing today to the end of the chapter, the message of the calling. Jesus calls disciples. Jesus calls regular people. Good news, like regular you and like regular me. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're an awfully regular person this morning. <laughs> awfully regular. It's good news. <laughs> it's a good compliment to pay somebody. Jesus calls regular people like you and me to himself. And he says, come and see. See what exactly? See a system? See a religion? No, he says, come and see me. See Jesus. What we discover this morning is not only do all roads lead to Jesus, but also all roads lead from Jesus. And we see this right in front of our very eyes today in God's word. There is a danger when we read the gospels though, and we all run into this, it's normal. And the danger is that Jesus can seem so far removed from us on these pages. We can sit and read these verses and hear about the other characters, about John and the priests and Levites and Andrew and Peter and today some new characters. And it can just feel sort of sterile or informational. So let me just say, the last thing I want us to do as a church is just study the gospel of John and gain information. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would be doing something much more than that in us, that the Holy Spirit would be doing something supernatural in us as individuals and as a church, that he would not only cause God's word, these very pages, to come alive in us, but that he would cause us to come more alive in Christ because of the word of Christ. This is the power of the Spirit working through the power of the word, waking us up to the power of Christ. And that's what can happen. That's what I'm praying happens. Not that we just read these books and these verses and gain information, but so that we're brought more deeply and more vibrantly alive in Christ so that our comprehension of Jesus would grow greater, so that our adoration of Jesus would grow higher, so that our satisfaction in Jesus would grow truer, so that our vision of Jesus would grow bigger, so that our worship of Jesus would grow deeper, so that our trust in Jesus will grow firmer, and so that our heart for Jesus would grow softer. Somebody say amen. amen. You're going to hear Jesus talking to Philip and Nathaniel today. But my prayer is that by the Holy Spirit, you hear Jesus talking to you today. So let's look down at our text, beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, whom we heard about last week. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we're going to pick up on a pattern here today, and it starts with this. Jesus finds us, and then we find him. Jesus finds us, then we find him. And we see this plainly in really just the order in these verses of who finds who first. And the first person to do the finding is who? Jesus. Jesus decides where to go, Galilee. Jesus decides who to find, Philip. So here is Jesus, again, center stage, center actor in this drama, the central finder, if you will, and Jesus does the seeking. Jesus does the finding long before Philip ever does, long before you and I ever do. John, the author John, the disciple John, is moving the story along here. We see this already in this chapter. He's moved us from prologue to testimony and witness and now to calling. And in this revelation of the heart of God, that's what this is. Remember, it's Jesus. Everything about him is the revelation of who God is because he is God. So in this revelation of the character and activity and heart of God, which is on display in the person of Jesus, the word of God made flesh, John is crystal clear about how this whole calling thing works which is that Jesus finds us first. And this is how it has always worked from the very beginning. This is how grace works. And this is the order. God makes the first move. And this is really good news for you, and it's good news for me. It means that you have been, and you are now, and you always will be pursued by God. You are being right now pursued by God, and he has been pursuing you from before you were born. And he pursues you every day of his life. And we see that in the activity of Jesus here with Philip. He finds Philip. He has his eyes on Philip before Philip has his eyes on him. We sing this hymn sometimes, amazing theology wrapped up in one or two sentences. Jesus sought me when a stranger, you know this, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. That is all of our song. All of our different stories and different testimonies from all of us different people and different backgrounds coming to Christ at different times in our life. For all of us who are in Christ, that's our song. Jesus sought me like Philip when a stranger. For some of us, it might also be Jesus sought me when indifferent. Maybe your song is Jesus sought me when in trouble. Maybe your song, I don't know all of your testimonies, I know some of yours. Maybe your song is Jesus sought me when an idiot. <laughs> I won't ask you to raise your hand if that's your song this morning. But whatever the case, whatever your story, you're in good company this morning. You're in the same company as Philip. Jesus sought you. He laid his eyes on you. This past week, I uh, ran into a teaching by 
the late Tim Keller, talking about the themes of the gospel that run through the book of Deuteronomy. He's done a series before he passed away of finding the themes of the gospel in every book of the Bible. So um, it's just wonderful. But in this particular video, he's talking about Deuteronomy. And the same kind of love, what do you know? That we see in this story today, in the end of John chapter 1, the same kind of love and grace that calls Peter and sets his gaze on Peter is the same love and grace and calling that God sets his eyes on Israel way on early in redemptive history. Let me quote Tim Keller here because he says it as only Tim Keller could. He says, there's a great place in Deuteronomy 7 where God says to the children of Israel, I didn't love you because you were the greatest of nations. You were actually a small nation. I didn't love you because you were the richest of nations. You're actually a pretty poor nation. I didn't love you because you were a powerful nation. You're actually a pretty weak nation. But I loved you, Israel, because I set my love on you. And that's the reason I love you. The God who sets his love on Israel just because is the same God who, here in this story, in the Word made flesh, sets his love on Philip just because. Praise God. He loves us first. And you can see that thread, if you're looking for it, in all the pages of Scripture. He seeks us. He finds us. He loves us first. So now here's the pattern. Jesus finds us and then we find him. Verse 43, look with me. Jesus found Philip. He found Philip. Now skip to verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found Jesus. Now, who found who exactly in this story? There's a, there's a whole lot of finding going on. So here's what John tells us. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathanael. And he tells Nathanael who he's found. And the person who he's found is none other than the person who found him. It's, it's one big pile of people who are all finding people who have been found by Jesus. It's like a football game and they fumble the ball and they all fall on the ball. So one big pile of people, they've been found, they find other people, and they tell those people they found about the person they have found and how that person that they found is actually the person who first found them. You tracking with me here this morning? There'll be a quiz later on. Verse 46, Nathaniel says to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, well, let me persuade you by enrolling you in a course at my church, which is a nine-week apologetics course, two-hour sessions. Let me sit with you, take you deep into catechesis. Let me argue with you. Let me show you my YouTube links to the lots of videos that I have to argue you about this Nazareth thing, Nathaniel. I should tell you about the history of Nazareth. Now, what does Philip say? Come and see. Certainly not see me, because I just... I just realized I was found by this guy. Come and see Jesus. In Nathaniel's defense, there had been nothing in the Old Testament about Nazareth being the place from which the Messiah would come. Nothing. No prophecy about Nazareth being a, a place where the Messiah would be found. So Nathaniel is perplexed, understandably. He can't make sense of this. He has an understandable skepticism. We have to understand 
that people's skepticism is often quite defensible, quite understandable. You have to respect the skepticism like Philip respects Nathaniel's skepticism. And Philip's answer to Nathaniel's skepticism is instructive for us because he simply says, just come and see Jesus. Jesus finds us, and then we find him. Now the pattern continues as we continue in our text in this way. Jesus knows us. We're going to see that now. Jesus knows us, and then we know him. We have a fascinating interaction here in verses 47 through 49 between Jesus and Nathanael. So verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It's interesting because on the surface you might see this and think, well, that's just a normal observation about the ethnicity of Nathaniel. He was an Israelite. There was a saying that this was an Israelite who um, had no deceit in his heart. But remember who's talking here. This is God talking. So under the surface, this is a much more profound statement, and Nathaniel knows it immediately. Jesus, who the prologue tells us in verse 3, made all things, so that includes Nathaniel, Jesus lays his eyes on Nathanael and not only sees him, but sees into him. That's the difference. He knows him. He knows Nathanael's heart. So verse 48, Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know me? Circle that. <laughs> how do you know me? What a question, Nathanael. You're only looking eye to eye with God himself. You're only talking to the one who, verse 9 says, is the true light which enlightens everyone. How do you know me? It's interesting. In verse 47, we don't see the word know. It says Jesus saw Nathanael. But in verse 48, Nathanael's picked up on something. What does he say? How do you know me? So Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Something happens in Nathaniel's heart at this moment. You can feel it. He knows he's been known because Jesus knows something about him that no one else could know. And so Nathaniel's heart is instantly pierced by Jesus. And his heart is pierced by the unmistakable arrow of the perfect, loving, sovereign knowledge of Jesus. So Nathaniel answers him, verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus knows us, and then we know him. So question, what fig tree are you hiding under this morning where you think either Jesus can't see you or Jesus doesn't see you? 
Are you perhaps hiding under a fig tree of dead, boring religion? And none of this stuff is really that interesting to you. And you're not that sure that God is that interesting or interested. Or are you hiding under a fig tree of your own sin? And either you've got it managed and protected and you've learned to hide it and you've learned how to clear the internet search history. Or you're beat down by your sin and you're held captive by it and you feel trapped in it. Or are you hiding under a tree this morning of your pain and you're suffering and you're hurting and you're lonely and you weep and you cry and you don't know if anybody knows or if anybody cares and you come to church and you wonder if anything this preacher can say can make any bit of difference to the hell you feel trapped in? Listen, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees into you. And Jesus knows you. And his knowledge of you his love of your heart and his loving, sovereign knowledge of your heart that enables him to see your doubts and your fears and your sin and your pain, his knowledge of you, just like it was with Nathaniel, is the arrow he uses to pierce your hard heart. And once he pierces your heart, he doesn't shatter your heart. He doesn't condemn your heart and leave you on the side of the road. He pierces your heart with his knowledge to draw your heart to the knowledge and love of him. That's why Paul would pray in Ephesians chapter three that you and I as believers may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that, that the Apostle Paul would pray that we would know something we can't know, that we would comprehend something we can't comprehend, that we would grasp something we could never grasp, which is the love of Christ that we can't ever even know, so that we'd be filled with his fullness. That's why the Lord pierces our hearts to draw us to know him more deeply. So I hope you know this morning whatever version of a fig tree you're hiding under, how deeply you are known by Jesus. And that as deeply as you know him, you will come more and more to know him deeply who knows you. So in these last two verses of chapter one, we see this pattern again, and we hear in the words of Jesus himself again how he comes to us, and then we come to him. That's how it works. He comes to us, and then we come to him. So Jesus answered Nathanael, Hey, Nathanael, it's my paraphrase there. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to Nathanael, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So you may remember the story in Genesis 28, Jacob falling asleep one night, 
and having a vivid dream, being given a vivid vision of a ladder being set up on the earth between heaven and earth with the top of the ladder reaching into heaven. And verse uh, 12 of Genesis 28 says that the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So way back then, way back when, God had given Jacob a vision, not only of a way of communication between heaven and earth, but also a way of transportation between heaven and earth, a bridge. God gave Jacob a vision of a bridge. Now Jesus steps on the center stage. John 1, 51, and he says, now, Nathaniel, I am the bridge. Jesus says, I am Jacob's ladder. Jesus says, I am the communication between heaven and earth. I am the transportation between heaven and earth. And what he says to Nathaniel is the same thing he says to you, which is that you can give up trying to climb up to me because I, Jesus, have climbed down. I have come down to you. And because I have come to you, now you can come to me. All roads lead to Jesus and from Jesus. Jesus is the way, and Jesus makes a way. So Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you're impressed because I saw you under your fig tree? Just wait. The the message paraphrase of this is you haven't seen anything yet. That's what Jesus says to Nathaniel. Wait until you read the rest of John. Wait until you see me lifted high upon the cross. Wait until you see me rise from the dead. Wait until you see me ascend into heaven. Just wait. You will see that I am the ladder. You will see that I am an open heaven, that I am the bridge. So Jesus is saying, too many of us, I think, have the wrong view of Jesus. We see Jesus as high above the ladder, And he's looking down upon us, expecting us to climb up the ladder to get to him. And every day he gives us a new grade, a new rating on how well we did that particular day climbing up the ladder to get to God. And some days we might get a B, some days a C, some days a D, some days an F. And every new day is a new chance to climb up the ladder to get to Jesus, who's at the top of the ladder. The gospel is the exact opposite of that. It's that Jesus not only came down the ladder and rose up the ladder, but that Jesus is himself the ladder so that we can give up this exhausting life of trying to climb, climb, climb. But that actually what we do is come, 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 come to Jesus. So Jesus underlines this. He underlines that he means this by saying these two words here in John And we only ever see these two words appear in this gospel, by the way, in John. These two words, truly, truly. Next time you parents want to get your kids to do something, try this out before your sentence. Truly, truly, I say to you, do the dishes. See if it works. I don't know. Maybe it will. (laughs) Truly, truly. Because who is this man who's speaking exactly? The one who is truth. He is truth. From the beginning, truth. So Jesus can begin his sentence with an amen. You and I, we can close ours with an amen or our prayers with an amen. Jesus begins his sentence with an amen because he is truth. And he says, truly, truly, I am the bridge. I am the ladder. I am the gateway between heaven and earth. 
and I've come to you so you can come to me because the Father has given you to me as a gift. And I want to emphasize that last point here with one last detail, which is the name of the disciple himself, Nathaniel. His name only appears in John, and he appears here in chapter 1, and he appears at the end after the resurrection in chapter 21. So he's stuck with Jesus. And we don't see his name in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John includes Nathaniel because no detail in Scripture is accidental or incidental. But the Apostle John, the author, includes this detail because Nathaniel's name means literally gift of God. So John knew when he chose to tell us this story of Nathaniel, he, Nathaniel, was a gift from the Father to Jesus the Son. When Jesus looks at Nathaniel there, walking towards him, he doesn't just see a guy. He sees a gift. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are all named Nathaniel. <laughs> Jesus sees you as a gift to him from the Father. You are not too far off. You are not too much of a mess. You are not too dirty. You're not too skeptical. You are Nathaniel. And Jesus sees you as a gift. You're precious to Jesus. And you're so precious to him that he came to find you so you can find him. And you're so precious to Jesus that he came to know you so that you could know him. And you're so precious to Jesus that he came to you so that you could come to him. What's the application of all of this this morning? Come to Jesus. What's application point two and three? How about this? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come and see. See Jesus himself. And see this morning afresh how much he loves you. And why? Just because. When we stand and pray, and then we're going to sing, I want to read from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. O God, lead us to Jesus, the one who came to us, the one who came for us, 
God, lead us to Jesus, that we would come to him.